Welcome to another episode of Panelism, where we talk comics and culture. I'm Taylor Trask, and with me, as always, the undisputed king of West Coast rap, Todd A. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I, didn't, I didn't know where that was going. I'm just going to say a different one every time, just to throw you off, just to see. <laughs> I appreciate how that was not in the notes. <laughs> it just, just popped out, just flowed out. How are you, sir? How's, how's, how are things in the new year? I'm pretty good. Um, it's I just this morning I was re-listening to our Tectivist episode because for starters, <laughs> that's the best sounding episode we've ever done. Oh. But I did have that um uh that feeling that I've that I've expressed several times, I think, lately, which is man, I'm ready to talk comics. Like I feel yep. like I yep. got all this frustration out. We just that was like we were just off the chain talking about things we were frustrated with. Um <laughs> throughout uh uh 2021 in technology and i was like i'm just ready to jump into some comics and then right before we get (laughs) right before we start podcasting i was texting a friend about covid which my iphone forcibly auto corrects to either coco or vivid (laughs) what and i'm like it is 2022 get two years into this yeah covid should be a known word on your (laughs) iphone and this is one of those like grievances we had which is the autocorrect is so forceful in in ios versus android anyway anyway we're going to talk about you and i talked about coco and vivid before this kicked off so we don't need to get into it in the in the episode here but it's a good it's a good sort of note because it tees up a lot of what the main conversation is going to be which is a book called not all robots and uh we're going to get into a lot of like just the discussion of humanity's relationship to technology so there's really good thread back to techtivists here that we'll we'll get to great great way to tie together yeah, and I like yeah. that we're, we've got an episode where you and I have read the same book. You've read yep. farther ahead than I have, but we bit. haven't done that in a while. So th- no. this is cool. You know, kicking no. off the new year. I, um, I, you know, can I kick off the quick hits with this? Because it, oh, it's please. maybe a yeah, good yeah. segue too, which is I traveled over the holidays um, and I've been locked down ever since. Um, but uh, as we've talked about before, traveling, that forced... Um, uh what do you call it like it's just like uh it's not you know it's not exactly isolation but just when you're in the airport when you're on the plane whatever it is just all i have is the ipad and Mm -hmm. so what i do is uh increasingly is i just use that as time to clear out the tbr pile yeah like i've you know things have been downloaded through comiXology unlimited for months and i just sit down and just start i just read like five pages and if i'm not into it i'm just whisking it away and it's gone and i did so much of that and it actually really helped me focus on what i want to read this upcoming year Mm. and what i felt like was um i already have a queue at home of um some non-fiction uh graphic novels and and just graphical novels and 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 it made me so excited to get back and read those because there was so much like fantasy and sci-fi and some superhero stuff that i was going through on the airplanes that i just decided like yeah i'm i don't i I don't need to get into that this year so yeah you know it's just that feeling of like oh i can't wait to sink my teeth into something you know long and real so let me ask you this when you're doing that tbr dwindle down it's it's a dangerous line because at one point for me, it starts to feel more just like, you know, like dutiful homework or like going through your bills in the mail. Like, totally. okay, this one. This. And that's, there's, there's, on one hand, there's a nice efficiency to that because then you're really just truly giving your attention to the stuff that's capturing you in that moment. But at the same time, do you ever feel like, 
man, I might be rushing this to, and, and you know, I, I may not be giving certain books certain, you know, the right appropriate respect or time, or does that, do you just not even consider that? Well, I mean, that's one of the, been one of the hardest things to get over over the past few years, especially since I became a Comixology Unlimited, you know, subscriber. And it's like, well, I can have 50 books checked out at any time. Yeah. So believe me, I have 50 books checked out at all times, you know, because <laughs> I've never hit the 50, the 50 limit. How the hell do really? you do this? No, well, never. because I'm like a completist. So it's oh, like, okay. oh, I enjoyed the first volume of Dr. Afra. Oh, they've got all six of them. Yeah, I'll there's every all issue those. of Saga. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, what, one of the things that kind of surprised me and not that it's a bad book or anything, just that I've I discovered this is not the mood I'm in, but I read and loved the book Spera and you and I talked yep. about it last year, mm-hmm. um, or maybe even in 2020. But I had volumes two and three on uh, Comixology because I just never like dipped into them. That's the real problem is you and I focus on one book and then mm-hmm. I don't do the further reading for pleasure. After uh, it's like, nope, homework's done. done. Yeah, two and three will just sit on the iPad. So. Anyway, I started reading those and I thought, and those, that was one of the ones where I was like, you know what? I'm just not, this is not the mood I'm in. And why am I keeping two volumes around? Yeah. So I you yeah. know, just returned them and now I got two more slots to, to fill I, up. Uh, I also kind of just r- refreshed my thinking a little bit and realized I have to be a bit more discerning because I've got, I've got a TBR pile that's, some of it's just been literally sitting here a year and I'm like, okay, it's either... Either it's yeah. never going to happen or I just need to like power through and just if, if it's not a great book or a great issue, that's fine. Like I have to get back to that place where, you know, I'm, I'm really just I'm 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 not dismissive, but just not devoting any time or energy to like books that just are moderately interesting to me. Like it's got to really capture me. And because there just simply is so much, there is simply oh, too yeah. much and I'm never going to get to it. So I just, I need to be really, even things I think are like, Oh, this might be interesting. If it just isn't by, you know, the end of the issue one or, you know, halfway through if it's, if it's one of those, like, if it's like a Netflix show where somebody's like, yeah, but wait till episode four, then it really starts to work. I'm like, I'm not wasting three hours of my <laughs> life just to then be maybe happy by the fourth hour. Like, no, it's, if it's not hitting me in the right way, you know, I, I understand things can evolve and get better, but it's not hooking me right away. I'm just, I got to move on and maybe I'll come back at another time. You know, there should be another pile like the, like the ones that got away pile, right? Like Spotify has a playlist oh, yeah. um, that they make idea. for you for this, where it's like, Hey, I, you know, I've tried this, didn't hate it, but didn't love it. And that should like go somewhere where like, you know, if you're ever in a lull, or you want to re- revisit stuff, you just have kind of like a cue that you can go, well, these were books that maybe it was just wrong place, wrong time. Let's see, you know, and just kind of have that second like a second chance stack or something like that yeah that's a great idea i mean that that's one of the terrible things about digital consumption is uh because i just did it like as you were speaking because i wanted to name this book but once i once i uh return a book it, it's gone there's like no trace that yeah. i ever checked it out at least that i've found maybe there's a history in comicsology or something but um I think a, one of the great things that happened was I read a single issue of this uh, book called Sylvania and I didn't mind it. It's got very like a, a, a lumberjanes kind of feel it's, it's in that world of Sparrow. There's like some magic happening and it's in the woods and you know, it's, it's written for a, a younger audience and I enjoyed it. But after one issue, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just, I'm done with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that always felt like that, you know, that's a healthy impulse. Uh, I did get home from my travels 
and um, was recommending the book Unnatural to someone. And mm. that caused me to Google it and realize that there is a hardcover omnibus edition. This is a book I've only read digitally. So I immediately ordered that omnibus for myself. Nice. <laughs> and it is like on its way, you know? Um, Very cool. Um, well, let's, yeah. well, there's, before we get into like the big book discussion, which again is not all robots, but <clears throat> we did watch some stuff too. It's, it's, we're recording this in New Year's or rather January 22. So some stuff came out. We've been talking about sort of in our private group chat. Um, one thing I want to highlight real quick is, uh, the live action Cowboy Bebop uh, show on Netflix, which sadly I just learned is not getting renewed for a second season. And it's a damn shame because the thing is amazing. Um, I was only sort of moderately interested in the original anime. I'd never quite, you know, quite really sunk into it. I could see its appeal and a lot of people were really into it. But for some reason, this iteration just really works for me. It's beautiful. Like they really, they care a lot about all the details and the, you know, the look and it's very loyal to the anime while still taking some liberties that I think make it better. Um, I, here's the, here's my pitch. If you basically want to see like Quentin Tarantino direct, um, like Kingsman basically like here's what it would here's what it would be like it just has has that same kind of flair and style and just there's a there's a hipness to it that I really 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 like and John Chow is amazing he's yeah he's he owns that role now he's he's exactly who I'll think of you know and it's got camp and it's got you know some it's it's very outrageous in that sort of Kingsman Deadpool kind of way it's got you know, very extreme yeah. violence but you know very and very artful and very almost kind of like there's a there's a wily coyote kind of element to it too where everybody kind of seems indestructible um but i mean i'll say this if you're interested at all the first talk about like you know the first couple episodes of a show the first i would say 15 minutes of the first episode if you're not in by then don't bother because like that it's they really put all their their you know their guns on the table literally speaking like in that first 15 minutes it's like look this is the show this is what it feels like this is what it looks like um you don't have to wait till episode four and it's kind of got a bit of an anthology kind of vibe where every episode kind of stands alone but there's still an overarching kind of vibe it's good to know yeah and then yeah it it all ties together nicely and sets up what would have been season two but you know you know you don't feel like you're miss. You don't feel like oh the story. Like they do conclude a base story at the end of the season one, so it doesn't feel like oh man, we're never gonna know. Right. Yeah, they tease some stuff, but it's like it still feels like okay. Well, if they stop here, I don't. It's not like lost where there's all these un- unanswered questions. Like I can <laughs> I can get through it. <laughs> yeah, I um you had pitched it to me. Uh, not even pitched. I think you just texted and said it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I immediately watched it like that day. I agree with everything you said. I think that uh, Tarantino directs the Kingsman is exactly the, <laughs> the vibe that you get. And you're right. Like within 15 minutes, it's like it's set up. Yeah. That said, I didn't keep watching it after that first episode. No. And I, Why not? not that I disliked it. I just sort of felt like, man, this is not what I want to watch right now so oh, fair enough um yeah i, I it's, it makes it, me it wonder felt like something i can come back to well know, and that's like, that's what i'm wondering if it doesn't find some legs like you get into the spring and especially like in the summer like did netflix yeah. screw up by putting it out like during thanksgiving like it is that totally got buried right yeah, like yeah. i didn't i didn't know it was coming i hadn't heard anything in advance and then it was just on netflix one day and <laughs> there were a million other things to watch yeah. Um, but I, I totally agree. And then my next quick hit is 
perfectly in line with that, which is The Witcher, which I hadn't watched up until last week and just sort of sat down and watched. Correct. I had not seen any of it. So Mm -hmm. I, and I, had just approached it like you know what it's going to be here whenever i'm ready for it it's here mm-hmm. and that was really enjoyable to to feel like yeah i'm in the mood for this and i'm going to sit down and watch it um and I've, i have people to talk about it with now which i didn't when it came out so now let me let me tease out a question i asked on our private chat because i you know i've been aware of it i'm aware of the game it's based on and all of that henry cavill looks good in it blah 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 but i, I as someone who doesn't really understand like I, I all i know is what i've seen in the trailers Yes. And on the odd, like, you know, screen rent article or what have you. But like, is the pitch that this is kind of Game of Thrones-esque? You know, does it have, is it like a, is it like oh. a gritty Game of Thrones or does it not relate to that stylistically? But use the other adjective you used in our chat. <laughs> what did I say? I forget, I forget <laughs> what said, I said. is this just an emo Game of Thrones? <laughs> ah, yes, yes. That is, that is correct. Yeah. Is, is it? I mean, exactly. Is it? Exactly. <laughs> it is. Okay. All right. So I can't speak to season two yet because I've only watched one and a half episodes of that. Um, but, how many se- but real quick, how many seasons have they put just out? Just two. So the oh, second okay. one just came out. So that's why what, it's really? like top of I would mind ex- right now. Yeah. It just feels like it's been, it feels like it's been around for so long that they'd be well, beyond that by I now. guess it was one of those things that came out late 2019 or early 2020 or something. Uh, so it, COVID. it feels like it's been more than a year since, you know, in between the first season, I think. Well, COVID probably um, shut down production, I'm exactly. sure, for a while and all that. I mean, it's... It does not rise to the level of Game of Thrones in it's like it's not as cinematic and the story's not as compelling. Um, it's uh, uh, it's a little bit, well, not a little bit. It's a lot confusing, especially the first season. As I have learned in retrospect, is that they they start out with two different timelines running, and you are not aware that these two different timelines are running until oh, about okay. six episodes into it. When something happens that's so like incongruous that you're like, well, wait, how have they not met? I, they met in the first episode. What you know, what's going on? And then it takes seven, the seventh and eighth episode to like bring it all together, and you realize like, oh, they sort of told an origin story in parallel with telling the current event story. But they they also fall prey to this Game of Thrones thing where they're they're sort of trying to play up the intrigue and the kingdoms and like these different powers of factions that are you know, against each other. And every time they do that, it sucks. Like it should just be an anthology of this creepy monster hunter, you know? Okay. Because, and, and I mean, it could be a, I I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the, the, the manga lone wolf and cub, it could be a lone wolf and cub. It could be a Logan, you know, or a Mandalorian. Yeah. Or Mandalorian. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. It could be old man, Witcher, Henry Cavill, and the young girl that he has to protect. And it could just be season after season of what's going on. You don't even need to see the kingdoms. Like there's a huge battle in one, uh, or sorry, that goes over like the last two episodes of the first season. And it's, I'm like, who am I rooting for here? I don't even know what, <laughs> like, I don't even like the person that I'm, that's clearly being telegraphed to me is the good person. You know, I don't even like that person. So what, Whose side am I on here? I don't care. Like, is and then, it? And, you know, then it just the next episode opens. There's just bodies all over this field, and I'm like, I feel nothing. This is not. <laughs> this is not at all like the well, Battle is, of the Bastards or something. You know, is is it because that Henry Cavill's character isn't directly tied into a lot of the other action? He's just sort of around when these things are happening, or does he have a direct role in like the battle that you just saw? That's definitely a problem. It they pull a full. Tyrion in season two where oh, he no. just gets knocked out at the beginning of the battle and then this whole battle happens and then he uh, wakes yeah. up 
And you're like, well, that sucked. <laughs> Our main protagonist was just unconscious <laughs> for the for the action. I mean, to be fair, that was a Bilbo Baggins before it was a Tyrion Lannister. That's the good, good that, point. that's what happens in the hobby. By the way, if you're interested, if you're new to the show and you're interested, we have a, a little companion show called Wednesday in Westeros. If you want to go and listen to that as you watch Game of Thrones, look for it. Still, still wherever fine podcasts are found. So check. Yeah, that's a great plug. We should we should still go back and and do an episode for every episode <laughs> that we don't have in the catalog that's right because we did start around at season three or four or somewhere around there yeah um and yeah we missed a couple we did some recaps of earlier stuff but not like episode by episode right um did you we've talked a little on private chat about hawkeye have you watched any of that i have not watched it i will say this i don't i won't spoil anything um i'll say this much it is i would say the most movie like of any of the Marvel TV shows on Disney plus so far. Like it really does feel like it is a six hour movie. So I highly recommend if you haven't watched yet, binge the whole thing in like one big shot because it's going to flow together really nicely. Well, Um, now I last heard that about winter soldier. I'm going to revise that. I mean, it's that still feels cinematic too, um, for sure. Uh, But I think, you know, in hindsight, that one, you know the episodes do kind of feel they're not standalone but they they kind of can exist individually so if you didn't want to watch two and then go to bed and come back and watch another one you know gotcha whereas i think with hawkeye it just sort of does it does feel like marvel's newest christmas movie like it just has hmm. and it's just six hours long it's also just it's delightful fun it feels like it's it's got kind of a 90s sensibility to it in terms of you know home alone 2 or um like love actually like it just it has kind of this <laughs> this thing it's not a rom-com but it kind of has that little of that it just it has it's just it's it's just and it's really small stakes which i appreciate because i've been bemoaning for a long time marvel just yeah. keeps getting in more and more insane in terms of the you know where they're going and they need to pull it back to kind of like iron man levels if they're if yeah they believe some of this stuff again so definitely does that um and it really man it gives jeremy renner a lot to do and um hmm. Haley, i forget her last name Stetfield, statfield i forget how you pronounce her name anyway she's uh she's magnificent like she's okay you know if if this was a pitch for like well she's a new hawkeye i'm like then i'm sold because like it really huh. she she's I don't know she just she really inhabits she it's a it's a different flavor than we've seen in the marvel universe so check I, check that out if you've been on the fence i highly i highly recommend it. i i would even rate it higher than falcon and winter soldier just in terms of you know well, it's co- it's coherence it's intrigue how it kind of builds very organically and every moment feels very earned you're you're not the only person who's told me that uh so I, uh, that's all intriguing. I do. I love that you say it's small stakes and it, what went through my head was, well, it's gotta be cause he doesn't have any powers and he just has a bow and arrow. Like, you know what though? There's a moment, there's a moment later on where like, she says that to him or he said, you know, she said that to him and she's like, you know, you know, do you know? Cause she's upset though. The whole idea is that she, when she was a young girl, um, she survived the battle of New York where Loki and you know, oh, okay. what, all, all that stuff, the, basically the first Avengers, like they show it from her perspective and they show Hawkeye falling down, like literally jumping off a building. It's the scene we see in Avengers, yeah. you know, overhead, but she sees it from like, you know, three or four blocks away. And she sees this guy jump off this building and shoot, you know, in her words, you know, use a string and a stick to fight back aliens. So by the time, you know, she's, she's like, do you know why I like you? Do you know why I'm a fan of you? It's because you did that. And it's just like, oh man, what an amazing, 
Hmm. What an amazing, just sort of everything. Again, everything feels very earned. Like nothing feels like they just put it in just cause like it just, it all has a wonderfully, you, you just end it going, this is what, this is what I want more from Marvel. Like it, it does harken back to kind of the, you know, the Iron Man or, you know, first Thor movie where just everything kind of feels smaller, smaller scale, more intimate. I just, I, I dig that. Well, so, uh, our last, well, a couple episodes ago, we talked about the first movie we'd seen in theaters. Have you gone back to the theater to see? Oh, no, we did. Well, I mean, we talked about Dune. We talked Dune. And then uh, the week after that, I saw uh, the French Dispatch, that new Wes Anderson movie. Which oh, man, I forgot about that. I uh, I loved. I don't like it better than Grand Budapest. I think that's the the top of the mountain. Um, okay. I mean, that's the, you. That is a perfect movie, especially I would say a perfect Wes Anderson movie. Like you're not going to get any better. But French yeah. Dispatch, it definitely has. You know, somewhere around Moonrise Kingdom, he kind of shifted into this like very hyper stylized fairy tale kind of world. You know, where everything was everything was very much a set. Uh, you know, yeah. set design. Oh, yeah. And so this fits into that. It's that same kind of vibe, which I really like. That's when I started getting into Wes Anderson, when it's like, ooh, hmm. he's really yeah. going for the visuals now. So what French Dispatch does that, but it's um, it's more of like, uh, I think it's a series of like four vignettes, four or five vignettes that are all interrelated, but they're definitely their own little stories. And so it's it has a bit of a different flow. Which I, I loved it. I'll definitely watch it again many well, times. And, uh, you know, listeners who are paying attention to what time we release this will notice we have not mentioned a giant Marvel movie that came out in theaters, but that's because neither of us has actually seen it. So we will catch up on Spider-Man soon. But. Yeah, that's that requires its own episode anyway, I'm, I'm guessing, because yeah. there's a lot going on. Um, I do want to finish off this quick hits, though, with, with a little note about Matrix Resurrections, because... Mm. <laughs> As we've mentioned, the private chat, um, uh, our friend Drew and I were both very excited for this, and I don't we, speak we, for him. Oh, yeah, we thought we thought we were going to do. We, we thought I was going to hand over the reins to Drew, and you two were going to do like a Matrix mega special episode. And we still might, but it will be very spoil. But basically, a warning: it'll basically be us just like pooping on it the entire time. Like it's, <laughs> I Drew's got his own reasons. I'll let him explain later if he if he if he we do that. But for me, it's just like I, <laughs> I watched it twice, and, I, and a lot of people are in the same boat. Like we watched it, be like, what you think? Well, I need to see it again, <laughs> and like that right away should have been the first warning. Like if you have to, if you have to see a movie a second time to to know if you like it or not probably not a good sign not not saying that that can't happen you know there's very art you know art house kind of movies that are very you know even donnie darko something that's a little light art house like second third fourth fifth time i watched it like i liked it better and better and better and better Mm. i see what they're doing this is not that this is like (laughs) this is i and I'm, i'm i'm hesitating because this could be a 30 minute rant nobody wants that right now but like I'll just say this. I saw it twice. I disliked it even more after the second time. Um, both times in the theater? No, both times on HBO Max. I was oh, gonna. Okay. I watched it okay. once on HBO Max because I'm like, let me just see. I, I was actually, my whole thought was I'll watch the first 10 to 15 minutes just to make sure because, you know, COVID was starting to kick back up again. I'm like, if I go into a theater, I, want, I don't want to be you know i i don't want <laughs> i don't want this to be the last movie i see in theaters for another eight months so i'm like <laughs> if it's not if it's not up to my standards i'm not gonna do it so like i watched it on hbo max i previewed it and i ended up watching the whole thing because i'm like literally within the first 15 minutes my jaw just kept dropping further and further and i was you you just kept hearing me mutter what 
what i'll say this i'll say i won't i won't even get into like the details or the plot or anything i'll just say this in the first 15 to 20 minutes one of the main characters literally says the line our parent studio warner brothers wants us to make a sequel to the matrix trilogy end quote Hmm. (laughs) and and the second that came out of his mouth and he's talking to keanu reeves when he's saying it i'm like I don't give a shit about this movie. Like, I don't, what, no, 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 no. And then on top of that, you get all these people. No, actually, it's it's a smaller contingent. It's unlike the first movie, which was, I didn't, I should say this too. The first Matrix movie I watched in the theaters, um, kind of at the end of its run, I didn't really like it. And it took, that was a movie that took me another time or two to go, oh, okay, I see. And I think that was primarily Hmm. because, I, I saw it first after all the hype like blew it out of proportion and I think I was really bristling against that. Yeah, um, which is a so, real thing. Yeah, yeah. So like I think if I'd saw, if I'd, much like Donnie Darko, if I'd saw Matrix 1 before anybody knew it existed, it probably would have rocked my world. But I think by the end, by the time everybody's like, it's a it's it's God's gift to movies, I was like, is it? And I was, I'd, you know, kind of went in with my <laughs> arms crossed. Whereas with this, I don't see a lot of people really celebrating it. Like it's kind of come and gone with, you yeah. know, and, and I, I don't hear much about it right now. Um, it could be for a variety of reasons, but like if it was going to be the Matrix movie to save us all, or, you know, like everybody sort had their own pet idea of like oh this is gonna this is gonna be the sequel we we needed that was that's what i was saying you know or this is gonna really take the philosophy to a new angle none mm. of that happened this is like you know it's in people there's there's a contingent of fanboys who are like oh but it's so meta and clever I'm like it isn't it isn't it has nothing like inception was kind of meta and clever and that even strained the the definition but this is just this is just bad the fight sequencing is bad the cinematography is bad none of the characters know why they're there i don't know what and i don't know what anybody wants i could not tell you the plot i can tell you the themes but i could not tell you the plot after watching it two times and themes don't make a movie like if this was going to be just a themey kind of you know paul thomas anderson kind of fever dream or something that's you know that's a different movie than what they gave us it's just like i it's like the studio gave it to somebody who saw the matrix once like 20 years ago and was like yeah okay and which is bizarre because one of the wachowskis actually wrote and directed it and i think truthfully they did it on almost almost like a dare like we'll make one so bad that warner brothers regrets asking us you know for the 90th time so what was their drama behind um lily wachowski not joining this movie no it's just lana no drama no drama whatsoever she just didn't want to do it they they both (laughs) lost their they both lost their parents like i think like two years ago so that's pretty fresh and she was just like i don't i don't want i don't want to and so the other one's like all right i'll do it but i'm gonna do it in a mocky kind of way so that warner brothers Mm. like literally like the carte blanche she must have had because it, it, it just none of it makes any sense it's just it's so stupid it's just it's it's and i'll say this in 2022 if you're going to tell a story about humanity's relationship to technology which is what the matrix is you got to right. try a hell of a lot harder than this like when the first one came out we didn't really have a lot we had blade runner we had lawnmower man we had johnny mnemonic strangely enough another keanu reeves movie um maybe one or two other things, but that was kind of it, you know, 2001 space odyssey, obviously, but there wasn't really this like pat, this like whole buffet 
of social commentary on technology and humanity until the matrix one came out and like defined that genre forever. And so all these amazing books and comics and other IP came out after that. So if you're going to go then as the, as the originator as sort of like the, the gold standard of that genre, if you're going to go and be like, Hey, we're going to tell another story about technology and humanity and how the two relate and how they need each other. Like you got it. You have to then set the, set the finish, you know, set the bar so far ahead that everybody else feels like they're behind. Like you have to jump ahead again. And this, Oh yeah. Yeah. This feels like a derivative product in every way, shape. I just, I don't, I don't understand. So if you're on the fence about the matrix or matrix resurrections, a hard pass for me. Cause I just, there's better ways to (laughs) use better uses of your time and just watch the first one and pretend that no, no other movies exist and you'll be fine. Well, from that we can move into another uh, d- uh, discussion of hu- humanity's relationship to technology, which is this book we've just read called yeah. not all robots, not all robots. And Oh my God, this kind of came out of nowhere and is just delightful. G- give us the details and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat. Sure. Uh, written by Mark Russell totally unaware of his uh career um art by mike deodato jr um also not a name i'm familiar with colored by lee lowridge um and then this i didn't know till you put it in the notes but um the covers were done by an artist named raza yep and i that for whatever reason just sort of like passed over me but and and honestly because i read them digitally i think and i did that that thing of just sort of swiping past the cover but um they are great. Like you, they're you really left. cool. They're very yeah. collectible. They're it's they're, they're more graphic art than they are comics covers, which I always am a sucker yeah. for. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I I always want to shout out when there's a cover artist who does work at that level. I always want to shout them out too. So props to Raza for really going for it. Yeah, and I think uh, I I got more to say about the art when we get into it for sure. Um, the publisher again didn't know this. A W A Studios. Yeah, um, and. Uh, uh I'll, so i had left a question we we have a, a loose notes document i had left this question for you because i didn't actually know what how many issues were out but you informed me that there are five issues out right now mm-hmm. um and i had read the first two on comiXology have you read all five now no i've read three um okay. and so well the first two are free on comiXology right now yeah um, if you want to test it out and also the first issue i learned uh, what we were sort of setting up was also free on a thing called global comics g-l-o-b-a-l-c-o-m-i-x global yeah. comics this is actually linked from the awa website so this isn't like some kind of rogue thing this is like they were hmm. promoting this um it's and then just it's right there like you don't have to even create an account or anything you just preview it read it you know whatever you want to do uh i didn't know global comics was even a thing so i'm going to check that out as as soon as we're done chatting like it, <laughs> it looks like a whole new thing that might be an interesting interesting source of new books well hit us with the back of the book description yeah um so i'll just read it word for word in the year 2056 robots have replaced human beings in the workforce an easy coexistence develops between the newly intelligent robots and the 10 billion humans living on earth so we've got what 36 years 35 years to uh, 34 years to add a couple billion more people (laughs) every human family is assigned a robot upon whom they are completely reliant what could possibly go wrong meet the walters a human family whose robot razor ball 
real name, ominously spends his free time in the garage working on machines, which they're pretty sure are designed to kill them in this sci-fi satire from Mark Russell and Mike Diodato Now, a couple of things about Mike, Mark Russell that you might find interesting. He's the writer on this. He has also written uh, the Flintstone series, which I haven't read, but I hear is really good. Really? And, okay. Yeah. More important, and this is, I just realized this just now, he also wrote Second Coming, which is this amazing little indie series on Ahoy Comics about Jesus coming back to Earth and basically interacting with that Earth's version of Superman. And it's kind of like <laughs> a buddy comic. It's, it's amazing. And it was banned from a lot of, uh, a lot of, like, libraries and things so of course i was like well i'm gonna i'm gonna grab this so if you're in we'll talk about second coming on another episode i'm sure but uh it's it's fantastic so i should have known the guy who wrote that is gonna bring some you know some heavy hitting writing to a series like this which he totally does yeah i i wanted to jump back as we started to talk about first impressions to that cover art because as i um you know flip to it to remind myself of what it was the first impression I got was it looks like the Vision series. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that was what really stuck out, which we were both fans of. Um, and then uh, when you get into it, it is very much like a uh, CMYK comic style. Like, you know, it almost looks like, hey, there's only the four colors and they do the... Um, the the half tone like i, I want to call it stippling but i'm not sure if that's exactly right but you know the dots in there for shading yeah. um and i for whatever reason and you know this is like the the evolution of todd and taylor i just really loved the way the texture of this looked yeah. on comiXology yeah like they're getting to that point where it th- there was a problem in comics i remember you know when i tried to get into comics before we started doing the podcast when i was trying to get back to them where they were turning to digital art and digital production more, but comicsology wasn't a thing and they hadn't like worked out what it would look like. It was just that physical comics looked fake to me yeah. in a mm-hmm. weird way. Like it just looked like it was laser jet printed you know, there was no texture to the images in it and I hated it. I could not get into it. Um, and we're, you know, finally getting to this place where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I love the way this looks and just having like all the light from the screen, like light it up, you know, it just, it looked great. It really did, yeah. No, this is a you know we we praise Comicsology a lot on this thing, but I mean, there are use cases like this. It's like no, this they really they really figured out that you know people don't. I don't know how many people think about like a, something as subtle as how much light is being pushed through a graphical image on your your e reader or on your tablet, like, and that actually yeah. changes your relationship with that works. And so, like, they really dialed that in on this one. Um, for sure because there's you know there's certain there's certain scenes like i'm looking at a couple panels where like a guy is sitting in a uh, darkened office and the only light is the light from his computer monitor and so there's a nice glow to it because it's on a a laptop screen you get this kind of extra glow that kind of brings it to life that you wouldn't get necessarily in a in a physical book but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful i mean it's beautiful art so i would imagine when this thing comes out in a a trade paperback or a hardcover you know whatever edition i will probably grab it there too because it's it is definitely going to be a shelf worthy shelf worthy book for me so jumping into the story you read the back of the book Uh but uh as that hinted it is this is a (laughs) cutting satire yes Um, and i I, did you read the statement from mark at the end of the book 
I did, yeah, and that because yeah. I I was I, I had this this assumption. I'm like, this seems like it's a lot of things. I wonder how intentional right. it is. And he's like, oh, it's very intentional. Um, yeah, I love that too. So, Mark Russell wrote an essay at the end. Um, I think the artist Dan, that the, whose name we keep butchering, Deodato, also wrote one. I think that was he who did the next one. But his is more about the the work on a uh, Mike Deodato. Um, but right, so it it is an exploration a satiric exploration of toxic masculinity through this future dystopia thing. And I I had that same impression you just said, which was like, as you're reading it, you're like, this seems like it's a lot of things. (laughs) How much is intentional? Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, it was one of those things where the, once I learned how intentional it was, I enjoyed it that much more. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk more about that in a second because there's there's more political commentary and philosophy that gets baked into this. But like, oh yeah, the overview of the so just s- some story beats. Um, like we said, humanity has created robots. You know, it, it's the, the the sort of the thing that really hooked me was that I could easily see this aside from the ten billion people, which I don't think will hit. But like, I could easily see this being reality in thirty four years, like easily. <laughs> um, so humanity has created robots to do more and more labor. Eventually, every human family is assigned a robot to basically earn a living for that family. And so I you've like got, the twist of that. It's yeah. not like, here's your Roomba that will do your vacuuming and cleaning for you. It's, you're no longer needed in the workforce, so mm-hmm. we assign you a robot to actually go earn money for your family. Because all the jobs you would do, you know, the, the only job humans still do is like hairdresser because robots right. keep killing people. And so they're like, okay, we still need human hairdressers, but otherwise robots are doing everything. And so there's always that, there's always that like, you know, question of, you know, if, if we do that in our real society, like, well, what will humans do? And then you know, there's that utopic idea of like, well, they'll just, they'll have more time to pursue their interests and their leisure and their arts and their crafts and blah, 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 blah. And for some that's true, but like this really kind of kicks up this reality of like, you know, humans kind of feel useless when robots are kind of doing everything. So then you get, you get at the same time, you, you know, this is a world where, what we're experiencing right now is taken to its logical conclusion where like climate change has happened. You know, there's fires everywhere constantly. Yeah. Um, pollution's terrible. Like civil unrest is terrible. You got roving bands of like, you know, militias and things out in the wilderness. So all the cities that still exist have been covered in domes because of the toxicity of the air outside and all the other dangerous aspects. So you've got like these cities like Orlando is in a big dome and Atlanta is in a big dome, which becomes a very key plot point at some point. I don't want to spoil that necessarily because oh, yeah. it is, it was sort of shocking when it happened. It happens <laughs> yeah. in issue, issue one, one. I believe. Yeah. yeah it's so you'll, the cliffhanger. you get to it, but it's like, Oh my God. Um, but it has something to do with the, the way the domes work and like, you know, and they, because of course robots do all the maintenance on those domes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's this, and, and then the, uh, the artist Mike in his essay points out, points this out, but it, um, uh, Mark Russell uh, does such a good way of introducing all of this in like five pages. Yes. And oh my God. The efficiency <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. One of the coolest things is that the way you find out about the robots earning the living for the family is that you see this human family sit down to dinner and the father, Donnie is like is saying grace. Yeah. And he's, um, thanking this God for the protein globules that they're about to eat. And, <laughs> Thank you for Razorball, our house bot, without whom this feast would not be possible. Yeah. And 
it, it, that just in this you know moment, then it causes this like sort of fight between the family. So they the the exposition comes out in the fight. You know, like well, yep. he makes all the money. Shouldn't we thank him? But it also sets up this other dynamic, which is that the father of this family is is basically. I, and I I hate to say this because it just doesn't feel right, but he's he's almost playing the like the fifties and before uh, the the you know pre women's lib. Uh, housewife who's yep. defending the father, be- yep. who, the the father's like harsh treatment of his children. So Donnie is gaslighting his family to how terrible this robot is, because like he's on his side. He watches the yeah. co- the the news chat shows and he's like, oh, Slicetron makes a good point here, you know. But it's all like anti-human points. Okay, so one of the things for me. Maybe the biggest thing for me, the biggest appeal of this book is how much political and philosophical commentary um, they bake into it and and relevant contemporary themes that like we are seeing play out in our day to day lives right now over the past two to three years. Like they're all present in this book, only in the you know, obviously in the timeline of the book, it's, you know, 2058, I believe, 2060, something like that. Um, so the near future and just it's you know, the, the commentary on the times in which we're living and then just the idea that those themes will probably repeat again just with you know different technology it, the whole thing is 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 really captivating in that way did you did you have a similar experience it, like it was almost too easy to to read the robots and think of our recent techtivist episode where I, i'm complaining about the automation in my you know phone software yeah like yeah. I, like you know it was just i would see this thing and go like oh no i voiced that exact same complaint but take out the word razor ball and put in iOS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's interesting. We talked, we talked earlier about the fact that the, you know, the robots themselves are very utilitarian looking um, yes. at the beginning of the book. You know, there's a, there's a, a plot point that that might shift as the story goes on. You know, they're developing newer, more interesting, more, more relatable robots. Um, Which, but I don't think is a spoilery thing for us to mention that that is a huge that becomes a big through line from about halfway through that they're that this new line is they're called mandroids and they look like they are they are androids in that way of like they resemble humans yeah they're like data um, from star trek they look yeah, exactly and it is precisely because they want to soften their image because of they're worried about these glitch rates that are happening and you know just people beginning to distrust their technology which is an exact parallel to you know things that we we go through all the time like that i mean that's just that's giving siri a, a different voices you can choose from to <laughs> that's feel a more, great point you know personality or whatever yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i i have a series of google uh google home devices or google minis in my home and um it it has for some reason i think since i've gotten an iphone app or google has just it, the algorithm just doesn't work as well for me i've gotten frustrated with it and i actually did change the voice to a much more like kind you know uh, Indian woman's voice recently just because I was getting so pissed <laughs> getting so pissed at it um, yeah, it's, I, you're not as likely to yell at mm-hmm. a, a woman or something like that yeah. you know it's like this psychological thing of like if Google has a man's voice you're you're fine with just screaming at it <laughs> yeah yeah or if it, or if it has like a, if the if the cadence is much more robotic you know it doesn't have a, a human intonation right. um, which is you know the movie her speaking you know, kind of a quick tangent the movie her the Spike Jones movie her with uh, Scarlett Johansson Joaquin Phoenix like 
one of the most interesting things about that is that it's a disembodied AI, but the voice and the personality is so distinctly human. Um, right. You know, Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with it, and as do many people fall in love with their AIs. Yeah. Um, so this this book there's there's a there I, I, there's a couple categories of allegory here, right? And we can I'll, I'll touch I'll, I'll kind of do a broad stroke and we can dive into each one. So on one hand you have a biting critique of America's economy, current economy, and kind of our our idea of race to the bottom capitalism. Um, you know, where just you know, the, the more we can automate, the more efficiency we can you know, eke out of it. The, that's all good. You know, don't question right. it. Just kind of everybody kind of chases that. You know, without any regard to how it disrupts, you know, people's livelihoods, their sense of their sense of purpose, etc. Another big theme is um, uh, just the transition transition to automation. You know, kind of Andrew Yang's nightmare, like the thing that he's built his whole <laughs> his whole campaign on, is just this idea that we're rushing headfirst into automation without any regard um, to what that means, how that happens, you know, what the, the side effects are. Um, probably the most overt metaphor. Well, uh, let me jump in oh, there um, yeah. I, because I think what's so what this sounds impossible to do in a book and it sounds it would be so boring in a work of fiction especially like a comic book where you know you can't have a lot of just panels of exposition um, so to to actually critique that 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 whole part of capitalism is such a that's a, a re, I mean that's like an impossible task yeah and the way they do it he handles it in just this real subtle way where it's they don't have to go into um the how do i want to say this like they're not having to go into the finances of the whole thing but obviously they hit a point where everything's going to be so automated in this world that and i think we touched on this before that the humans can no longer earn a living for themselves yeah so their solution is just assign a robot to every human household and that is the breadwinner and So in that way, they, they, they sort of, you know, that just saying like, it's the breadwinner sort of sidesteps having to make all these complicated arguments. But then in a way it's like, I just think that's brilliant because it's, you, you see from like, you know, questions that say, for example, Andrew Yang raises, uh, you're thinking like, okay, well, what's your solution? You know, how do you get, how do you get through this? Cause it just sounds like you're going to, you're just going to have to have a bunch of, you know, slideshows and presentations to explain to us like how to fix capitalism. And in this book, they just say like, yeah, that's how we're going to fix it. You know? Yeah. All, yeah. Yeah. Um, other other kind of big buckets of, of allegory there's the protest movement whether it be black lives matter and just the the reaction to that even like the capital you know the january 6th uh, riots you know just the there's so much that touches on why people protest and how they organize and how they re- respond to certain conditions um that have been imposed upon them probably yeah. though the, the most overt metaphor maybe we can start by really diving into this most overt metaphor is just this whole thing is kind of a satire not even kind of is it intentionally a satire for toxic masculinity um right the author says as much in one of the you know kind of one of the issues at the you know the back of the book yeah kind of the commentaries. author statement at the end of that first issue yeah yeah so it was it was conceived i think this the the through line of this the series was conceived with that in mind um and then 
organically it kind of branches out into all these other themes we're talking about specifically on the on the human technology relationship side like our our dependence on it our relationship to it our our fear of it um and so but that that toxic masculinity line is is goes all the way through and because now we've read all the issues um at first i thought that might have been something they would set up and then maybe drift away from in in favor of some of these other things and they don't they really stick with it till the end um they keep you know they they definitely give attention and thought to all the you know all these other things we're talking about but that that through line of you know the 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 white man down on his luck you know not knowing his place in the world having sort of had this this experience of having everything given to them or feeling like they're important and having that taken away the first thing that came to my mind i don't know if you've read this there's this amazing hunter s thompson article from the 70s it's like one of his big claims to fame. He actually, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He, he embedded himself with the Hell's Angels, and for a period of time, and wrote this amazing. I forget which which magazine or maybe it was Rolling Stone. Um, and yeah, wrote this amazing so. expose on the Hell's Angels. Uh, I encourage everybody to go read it because it's just great writing. Hunter S. Thompson's brilliant. But the thing that really struck me about that article was that the Hell's Angels everybody has this misconception of why they formed largely they were a group of guys who went overseas to fight in world war two um you did their thing came back and the country had kind of moved on think about world war ii like we automated you know factories kind of because of necessity because we were losing so many so many you know guys from that workforce we had to create new methods of automation we had to bring in new people you know mostly women into the workforce all these things had changed kind of the the use you know where you were in terms of your use in the world and what you what you you know where you valued your labor and all that stuff you you know where you were before you went to war when you came back very different for a lot of guys and they kind of you know this was an early version of what we're seeing a lot right now which is this group of this group of people didn't know where they fit in didn't know you know kind of felt like look we did this thing we came back and we don't have anything anymore we don't have a purpose and and a sense of rebellion formed this biker gang and became and that evolved to become the hell's angels we know today but that was the genesis of it It was these disillusioned guys didn't have didn't feel they had a home anymore didn't have a place and then in the the you know kind of the camaraderie you know they found each other through this is pre-internet they found each other and created this group there's a there's a group of robots in this book and in, in you know in the series not all robots that is very similar just i as i was reading through that part and seeing you know how these robots kind of find each other and are inspired by this i'm like wow that really does connect to that theme of like you take a group of people and you very quickly disassociate them for where they find value in their lives and don't give them options this is what happens how did you how did, i don't know if you if that oh. if you picked up on that but how did you take oh, yeah. all of that well i i think um and again, like, I, not to sound too grandiose, uh, this book restored my faith in fiction. Mm, and I wow. think it's a statement. <laughs> over the last six years, it's been so hard to read any fiction that puts you in some alternate history context because in a, in a lot of ways, I feel like, but we entered that alternate history yeah. in 2015. Um, you know, and I and I think like you know it's um, I, I, there, and this is certainly an argument to be made, but the, the, the sort of rise of Trumpism 
is a rise of like bad faith politics, you know, for my entire life, for our entire lives, Republicans told us who they were and what they supported. And then all of a sudden they voted in mass for this man that like clearly did not represent or support any of those values, Yep, you know? Um, And there's this, uh, there's an easy way out, which is just to say like, Oh, those people are stupid or they were duped or, um, whatever but but we know underneath that there's this real anger and so there's there's a real importance in like pulling that apart and saying like why were they angry like just like the hell's angels why why were they angry why were they disenfranchised and again like just an impossible quest for a comic book to explain and i think one of the ways and i i i'm really just like coming to this as you were describing what's exactly going on in the book is one of the, I think one of the methods he uses to describe that is he doesn't get too mired in the personal stories. Yes. Yes. It's not that we don't feel for the humans, but, um, and it's, it's also not like, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't mean this as a critique for, for this author, but it's not in a Neil Gaiman way of like where we have representative people, you know, there's not like, overlord robot who's like just representative of this one class of robot and then like underling human who's representative yeah. of this other thing it's yeah. just that we're getting a much more like snapshot view of everything you know it's like mm-hmm. cut to the home and the family having their dinner table conversation cut to the robot's workplace and the two robots talking about what they you know read online cut to the you know the ruling council and what they're planning for the androids and it's those sort of cut scenes that make you it i i maybe this is a stretch but it maybe it felt a little documentary-esque mm, of like yeah. you know we're just seeing the scenes of this and we're able to put the pieces together in our head we don't this you know mark russell doesn't have to hit us over the head with get it this is what this means <laughs> you yeah. know it's like you just see it and you're like and and what he says in that author statement in the first issue is absolutely right like when people have lived in a sense of privilege like looking at their when they have to look at their privilege, it's like they don't even understand it. Like, so yeah. he was trying to cast it in a different view, you know, and and I just think that that, that conceit worked so well through this whole thing. So I, yeah, I think it, it really is like, it, it's not like a, it's not like it's trying to explain that anger behind um, movements like this, uh, you know, like white nationalist movements or, or you know, January 6th or whatever. It's not like trying to explain that. It's just trying to show you the snapshots and like what led to that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah. All these robots, all of a sudden the Mandroids come out and all the industrial looking robots get fired. Yeah. You know? So of course they're angry, you know? Very unceremoniously. (laughs) And, and, and even more, and the insult to injury is they get fired and then there's no one knows what to do with them because like, you know, right. to your point, we we aren't given we're given like a specific family and their robot to kind of hinge on, but it's not like we spent all this time knowing every detail about their life. They're almost like a stand-in for any family that could exist. You know, we just we get a specific yeah, exactly. snapshot, but it's less it's less you know who the mom and dad are as people is less in, is less important than like look this is the situation on the ground. Like this is I like your point that almost like a documentary kind of feeling to it. Um, but the the insult to injury is these robots get fired and then. And the families who own them, they can't sell them because they're not used. They're, it's like mm. trying to sell an old, like you know, a laptop from 2010. It's like who wants this now? So just the uh, you have these robots who have sentience, who have you know feelings to a large degree, who are now 
you know, not only are they op, you know, obsolete in the in the sort of you know how do I like they're obsolete in every sense, right? Like they they lost their jobs and now there's literally nothing for them to do. And the family yeah. you know is more it, you know the family has replaced them. They, you know a lot of these families have gotten mandroids in now, so they just have this like quote unquote hunk of junk that sitting there that still has you know processing power and has a life. And then and so, yeah, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. Um, and that's a that's a pretty important inf- without spoiling too much. That's a pretty important flashpoint. Like the firing of the robots really does shift the energy um in the latter latter part of the series um and just you get to see kind of where that plays out and and, you know i mean one of the difficulties of our our podcast in trying to talk about graphic novels that for starters i think we've said it over the last couple years like in some ways the graphic novel has become like the ideal media to tell medium to tell stories about this moment like it's you know it's both visual it's graphic design it's you know um but it's also it's you and i have this uh funny conundrum when we do our episodes which is like how do you describe like how cool a thing is with being without being like well it's just cool go look at it but all of this description that we're doing sounds really joyless and and humorless for sure and there is for, for starters the robot talk show where there's two there's a robot host a robot commentator and then a token human <laughs> like a cable news talk show right yeah it like a like a panel show it um it, you know it, it it it's like as soon as you see that yes it's a great way to deliver exposition um but you realize like oh it's going to cut back to this sort of for like you know laughs or whatever but something else happens at the end of issue three when the first when the neighbor gets his mandroid that i was just i i was laughing so much reading those final panels of this issue and then you know we said at the outset of this uh this episode that i had read two issues and you had read three and then what happened was in our little glitch in the middle we ended up like completing the series both of yep, us yep. and that every i mean oh it's just orchestrated so well because you're like oh there's this like serious narrative and we're cutting to these protest scenes and like you know just getting like a, a real um like heavy dose of uh you know civics in it and then all of a sudden it's like this scene with this new mandroid happens across the street and like the <laughs> jealousy between these two men you know, like the the family man we've been watching, who's basically been cuckolded by his robot. You know, yeah. goes across the street to meet his neighbor, and then this this event. I mean, it's just like there's this reveal that's so funny, and like, I, you know, with I don't want. I'm trying so hard not to spoil it, but it is. I, I mean, I was just laughing so hard, and it's like I have to read the next one right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm so glad we did it at this with this timing. And it's um, not to get off track here, but it's this another thing, a theme we've brought up, I think, before, which is if I had been reading this issue by issue, yes, I would have wanted to go on immediately, you know, with that next issue. And if I had to wait a couple weeks or a month or whatever for it to come out, it's not that it would diminish it, but it it was so gratifying to be able to read the whole thing you know, in two, in two sittings, I read oh, the first two issues. 100%. Yeah. We started recording, then I read the next three issues and we're finishing recording. But if it had come out simply as a graphic novel, I would have been less tempted to pick it up because one of the what, like gateways to getting into this was you said, just download the first issue. It's on unlimited comiXology. 
So yeah. I was like, oh, easy. I can just dip my toes in it and I'll get the theme, see if I like it. And then I, you know, ended up buying the series. So, and this well, is one I will buy in hardback, I think, and put same. on my shelf. I was just gonna, I think, just gonna say that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, this is, you know, the best books. I, that should be one of our top tests is if you acquired this digitally, would you then go and repurchase it physically to have both the artifact and then just, you know, the, the art is so good um, that I kind of want it. I want it in that physical sense too. It's just almost like a, yeah. like a well done. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> the, it is the perfect comic book in that, you know, for me, I mean, speaking like, you know, in a personal opinion sort of way where I like the art and I like the story and then I like the whole unit of it. Like yeah. I don't, yep. I don't want a volume two. I mean, maybe there, I can, maybe there's some way to continue the success of this, but to me, this just in a capsule is like, perfect let me put that on my shelf you know i will reread that i don't want there to be a volume two i you know we mentioned earlier on uh, in the episode mark russell wrote this and Mm -hmm. he also wrote that other that other amazing um that other amazing series i just forgot the name of it oh my god oh shoot i did too it's Um, the jesus one (laughs) oh yeah yeah second coming second coming yes yeah yeah. and second coming you know could also have a a, sequ- a sequel series that was meant to be a limited series too. I'm I hope it doesn't. Like he's the kind of creator where I'm like no 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 one and done. Just keep giving me new things. Limited series one and dones. Like you don't yeah. need to go on and on like Hickman does. Like you can. It's almost <laughs> like this is. It's almost like he's where Hickman started. Where it's just like I have a really interesting idea. Here it is. Now I'm moving on to the next one. And I, like Hickman just kind of got yeah. caught up in the in the 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 franchise building of it all. Um, you know. what what is this that and that's this is probably one of those things where anytime that theme comes up one of us makes this comment i'm about to make and then and then we don't actually do that episode but the comment i was gonna make was man we could do a whole episode (laughs) on (laughs) when series should stop you know and because the one that jumped right to my mind was black science where i thought like yeah it's got all those great ideas packed into it and the first three volumes of it move by like at like action movie pace and then it just gets lost and it's yep. like oh dude and i you know again wait, a ton of caveats because i haven't finished reading it and we have on good on like good word like it's worth the finishing of it to it ends in a good place but you know that's yeah it's it's hickman-esque in that sort of way and it's funny when i said you can't cram a bunch of exposition into a comic book i immediately thought of hickman like the way he'll just do like huge graphic design pages you know with exposition that you don't necessarily understand it's just sort of like a scroll on a movie screen that you have to go back to to read a long but, interview um, it's like you have a panel of two people talking and then it's like and here's their transcript of what they said and it's like it just goes on and on and on which yeah, yeah i don't well, mind that but he he relies on it too much and to your point the the genius of not all robots is that it's it definitely is show not tell throughout the whole yeah. thing like there's panels where like you can glean four or five different ideas from just a yeah. single panel like hey the reality is these two characters are talking and they're talking about this specific thing and that's important to the story but at the same time like that reminds me of this other thing that occurred last year in the real world and then there's this theme like for me yeah. you had talked about like you'd mentioned like the you know it's perfect it's a perfect book for you because it, it it satiates all of those those check boxes like it's a complete picture it's you know the art's great like all that for me the 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 missing kind of the, the sweet spot for me is it's a book that uses contemporary news or like a topical things going on in the real world and and does a 
it, it, it's not based on the current time and place, so it does something extraordinary. Yeah. It either puts it in a, in a fantasy world or in a future state like it does here and kind of talks about that, but almost does it in a clever way where like you're you're like, ooh, that's contemporary. Like I'm, I, I have an emotional connection to that because it's, it's here yeah. now, but then they use that almost as a gateway drug to, to sideload all of these questions, these deeper philosophical questions that could apply to any age. So like what, for me, yeah. the, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I love that. You're exactly what you said. And it it lets you sort of like take your brain out of the moment. Yeah. But re- like, so you can retain an emotional connection to the work and to your contemporary time, but you're not reading something that is specifically commentating on what it, we're, you know, going through. And yep. I just thought of a great example of that as you were saying that. That's why I interrupted is, uh, in, remember in the first Black Knight, uh, Black Knight, Dark Knight series, The Dark Knight Returns there was this commentary on like running through it on um, the arms race and Superman had become just this sort of like puppet of, you know, America and like everything it stood for. And they kept cutting to the talking heads, which was like, I think that was sort of like the, you know, one of the big shocking things about the dark Knight was there would just be these like panels of like all the talking heads on news shows, but they would often, show the show a president that I don't think was named, but it was always clearly like a caricature of Ronald Reagan. Yep. You know, and nothing in this book has any connection to that. They don't talk about iPhones. They don't talk about Tim Apple. They don't talk about like (laughs) the president of the United States, you know? So you're not constantly getting pulled out of your imagination to like, think that this is an alternate history kind of thing. You're just like experiencing you're fully experiencing the world that it's in and rather than being like constantly reminded it's your world or something. Which, and I think that, that makes it so much more effective. That by the way is the true test of good satire or good allegory, you know, like good allegory is, is that make you know, comment on a thing, make me really consider an idea or a, a proposition, but don't, tie it so specifically to you know just you have to keep it in the abstract enough where i don't feel like where i don't where like my current programming doesn't get in the way of considering the thing you're trying to tell me so it's like you know if this was if this was and and I struggle with saying that because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the, um, the three graphic novels March, um, uh, two years ago, which all about the John Lewis story, which is amazing and just an amazing historical artifact, um, just in itself. But, and you're, you're considering things, but you can almost make the argument that like, because that they're talking, it's almost like the opposite of not all robots. It's, you know, we're talking about this real thing that happened, but it's in the past. So it's not like, right, right. You know, you can still think about how does racism work in America today, but through this other lens that we're giving it to you. We're not, you know, this isn't a story about, you know, uh, you know disillusioned white men here and now. And here's his name is John Jones. And it's like, no, it's, it's just boom. It's it's this it's this mechanism to get you to really consider ideas in a way that doesn't personalize it so much that you're distracted yeah. at any given yeah. time. I, um, I mean, in, in that way, it's, it's almost an animal farm, except that an animal farm boom. The pig was named Napoleon. Boom. You know, it's you just like, you couldn't it. even you get away it. from it, but yeah. And which is, which is a thing that you hear all the time, but it's like, that's, that's a comparison people make to great allegories. Like, Oh, like animal farm. But so rarely does it like rise to that level. I think, you know, exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. This, this also may sound too grandiose, but um, I also, at the beginning of our episode, I previewed that I just got in a hard 
uh, cover omnibus of unnatural. And then when we had our glitch, I, over those two days, I sat down and read the whole thing. <laughs> and so the grandiose part might be, it might be the balance in a comic book like this might be more like poetry where you're trying to, you're trying to put the ideas out there and say the thing in a lyrical way without all the heavy exposition. And I think most people writing, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this approach a comic book as like a, a movie script that you're going to draw, Ooh. you know? And Ooh. so unnatural. I mean, I, I love that book and it has beautiful artwork. And I really think it's like Mirka Andolfo's like, you know, the, a crowning achievement that, that she's done. I think it's just so good. And, but it, it, it plays out like a movie, you know, and having read it in between reading, not all robots was like, not all robots. It's like, you don't, you don't get lost. You know, you're not following the individual paths of these people's lives. You're not, you're not getting into all that backstory and exposition because he's not approaching it. Like it's a movie. It's like, no, you, you couldn't tell this as a movie. I don't think without people questioning all the, you know, what does this represent? Or like, do we put iPhones in it? Or like, what about this corporate sponsorship that we've got to slip into the movie somehow, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. it just exists like a poem and it's, you know, it's, it's just got so many stanzas and then it's done. And so I, that's another reason why I hope it just I'm wraps. Uh, you may have just unlocked something we haven't really considered before, which is the the kinds of books I really tend to go for are exactly that. They're more they're mm. more they're more graphic novels as poetry than they are. You know, at the same time though, there are also I I I also acknowledge and like a lot of the the movie screenplay books. We've talked about a yeah. bunch of you know, Postal comes to mind. You know, Postal is a storyboard as a as a comic and it works functions very very it's the it's the best tv show they haven't produced right yeah. and it's just it happens to exist in a, in a graphic novel form and it's brilliant but it's a different sort of thing than i think the books i come back to and reread are the are the lyrical ones are the ones you just yeah. laid out very 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 articulately um you know my and i'll, I'll give a, a quick name check the 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 book that i always come back to that is for me, the height of this is uh, Jim Henson's A Tale of Sand, which, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's it has just a very few dialogue bubbles. And most of it is almost like a silent movie that just it's a surrealist poem. But it's you can you can gleam so much from it again and again and again. Um, I do want to talk before we run out of time. I want to talk. There's we can we can spend a whole hour talking about all the philosophical elements you know there's oh, there's yeah, only yeah. I think five touched on a lot but yeah <laughs> we have there's there's only five issues and yet you can you can mine so much out of these issues it's crazy but the one thing that like i think that really that haunts me having you know read and now completed the series the thing that haunts me more than anything else is the false sense of inevitability that humans seem to have in regards to in relationship to tech this yeah. idea that like you know it you really kind of see that manifest in issue three um and you but because you have some you have some lines where they're just like well everybody's getting a, a everybody got a robot so we just all got a robot you know it's like everybody yeah. moved into these bubble cities so that's just what we did because everybody was doing it and it just it the, the thing that immediately came to mind was just this idea of like all these people all these people my friend group who are still on facebook who desperately want to leave mm. but they're like well everybody's on facebook i'm like but you can leave like you can choose not to have like just because oh, this yeah. technology is convenient and easy or cheap doesn't mean you have to like we don't it, it, so much of the last 10 years in terms of 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 western society i'll, I'll 
focus on Western society and technology has just been this runaway like inevitability like well it's out there we all have to use it I guess it's just where we are nobody's like stopping to think and go okay if we use this what what are the side effects what are the knock-on effects like just like we think about with drugs like if we use this drug or implement this medical procedure what you know what are we not anticipating and we just we still as a society as a culture have not have not really reckoned with that yet. Like we don't, we don't introduce new technologies and go, okay, now if if this, then what? We just sort of all pile in, and we're seeing it again now with with NFTs and crypto and blockchain, which <laughs> I'm I'm largely in support of. But like, there's a huge faction of of the current economy that's just like bl- blindly running into that minefield, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't that's know if we. And, and so this this you know not all robots. I think almost almost capitalizes on that fear on that just that dread of like because i was thinking about this going okay if i if i if this were my our family in the future like i i don't know if we'd want one of these robots right like like just because everybody else is getting one like doesn't mean we probably should i did that speak to you at all oh yeah and and you know what hit me was an issue three in so many ways is like i mean just again like this thing is structured so well it's so tight an issue it's in issue three that we first get i think a flashback but it's it's an important thing where they the kids remember the last time they saw their grandmother and you yep like there's a scene of them you know in their hover car or whatever going to visit her outside of the city and they're explaining hey they're gonna have to bubble up the cities because of all the like you know unbreathable air and toxicity out here and malicious you should you should come with us and and the grandmother makes this really conscious decision of like, I'm not joining that technology thing. And she does it from like sort of an ornery perspective of like, I'm an old lady, you know, I I'm, I'm out of that, which is a thing. Like I, you know, I see my, my parents disenfranchised so much by technology, you know, because they, they just, they didn't grow up with it and they lack sort of the feeling that they can manipulate it the right way. So I think the grandma in, in, in many ways is like a peaceful you know, refutation of, of that. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it made me think of all that stuff of like my, you know, the way my parents interact with their phones and stuff. Um, and, and not the, you know, they just like, these could actually do so much more for you, mom, if you would just pay attention or whatever. (laughs) Um, but there's another group, uh, I I think that's worth mentioning, which we, I think we don't meet until the fourth issue, which is there is this group of other people who have, uh, consciously, like decided not to go you know not they're they're disenfranchised on purpose and they are really angry about it and so yeah. it's sort of the you know the uh you know they are the hell's angels of the world who are they're like the outlaws who live outside the dome cities and you know um it, it, yeah so we that's that's an interesting like dynamic that gets introduced uh later in the story but that just yeah trying to tie it well, together with what you said about that feeling out of touch with tech and but it's an like important that. it's a really important theme because it does it does this magic trick of making you go okay for most of my life people who sort of resisted technology or refused it were almost like shamed into being like well you're just a you're just you're either illiterate or you're um what's that other t- oh god what's that other term um um uh it's right the tip of my tongue somebody who's uh oh god <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> this is awful uh what's the term that describes somebody who's like anti-tech it's like they're uh oh jesus christ oh, no. um yeah i know what you're thinking of too but it's that person yeah it's the anti-tech it's, person oh my it's, god it's it's i could see the word in my head anyway it's like you're you're <laughs> 
there's a negative connotation associated luddite thank you oh my lord i haven't had enough coffee this morning um yeah it's like it's like well you're just a luddite right and in a book like this makes you go okay that that has been sort of a that's almost almost like a default that needs to be overcome and go like look just because somebody resists technology does not make them a bad you know a luddite does not it, there shouldn't be that instant like well you're just not you know you're eh. you know it's like we should right. start to tr- treat those people more seriously like well what are your concerns interesting like how well, do we massage that into our dis- our collective decision making and just our relationship with tech and i think by showing the scene with the grandmother and showing the scene now and they, he didn't the you know the creators did not harp on this too much but showing that scene and then showing the scenes the very few scenes we get with the outlaw people yeah um it, it shows that like you can't fully you know disenfranchise yourself from the culture and be healthy you know it's like there there really does need to be like a middle ground you know, mm-hmm. of because you, you can't just be like a violent outlaw um, or, uh, you know, this um, nomad that like doesn't see your family anymore. Mm-hmm. So that is I mean, that is like a very real thing that we feel on Facebook. Those friends we have that that can't leave Facebook, they feel like I lose all these connections, you know, and that's a really human thing. And I, I you know, I know when I moved across country, I was, that was like early days of Facebook and I was using Facebook and I really felt like, Oh, it keeps me connected. Now, mm-hmm. when I got off of it, um, I learned like, well, I don't miss that. You know, that's not, that was not a meaningful enough part of my connection. It was through that transition, but you know, no longer. So if, it, if um, Facebook was still like, you know, what it originally was, which is just, you know, a place to post stuff and connect with friends. And there wasn't all this like insidious, like algorithmic stuff that was harming mm society very true i'd yeah. i'd still be on it so like the the, the the facebook comparison is is apropos because like it's people who they know it's bad they know it's bad for right. society and yet they can't stop doing it um right. and it's because of that human connection it's like oh but if i do if i stop <laughs> i lose this this thing that's more that that even though the bad stuff is there it, this thing is more important than even the you know the bad stuff and Which i think is, the you know the, the families who have these robots like look we know we all know these this is not right. a good situation we can't stop it's too late now it's just that yeah. oh man go ahead and sorry, the go allegory ahead. here no 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 i just love that and the allegory the thing i'm like bursting to say is that they do exactly the same thing that facebook does in the book which is the approval rates of these industrial looking robots is like declining. People are worried about the glitch rate and everything. And they're like, you know what? Let's make it look more human. Yep. Yeah. Let's change so, the name. <laughs> yeah. They change the name. They, you know, it's like it, it, and, and it has a face that resembles them and they don't fear it as much. And there's, you know, there's a part where like the, dude on the council or whatever is on a news show saying, Hey, our approval rating is 100%, you know, and that's, (laughs) that's every time Zuckerberg goes to Congress, you know, like we heard the complaints and we have fixed everything, you know, forevermore. Yeah. 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 I do like, by the way, going back to something you said earlier, um, there isn't, you know, none of the, none of the, you know, there's like five CEOs who run all these automation companies who are, who sort of form the new world order. Um, Yeah. And it's, they, I'm they glad, become the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think it's like the Council of Five or whatever. Um, but they they didn't like none of them. Like Elizabeth Holmes isn't standing there amongst the you know, amongst the five. It's all it's it's people you wouldn't recognize. It's just you know. But at the same exactly. time, 
And, yeah. you know, there's not like a Jeff Bezos one, right? Although there is a bald one, but there's not like a right, Jeff exactly. Bezos, you know, where you're like, oh, that's who this is supposed to be. It's just kind of like, hey, in the future, these people would emerge and here's what they'd look like. But they do a great job of, of capturing you know, like the Zuckerberg, you know, the Zuckerberg of it all in their mm-hmm. personalities. And they're just, they're exactly. f- just the utter flippancy in which they deal with you know the world that they set in motion just it just frustrated the hell out of me i just i ended the oh. series in like mentally you know mentally intellectually like you know satiated but just still like damn it <laughs> damn it this is I, it's true it's all true this is all and, accurate and getting back to um something we touched on earlier like because i i felt that too i it, and from a literary standpoint though it makes me want to reread the book not see the next chapter. Yeah. It's yeah, like I yep. get to that end and I'm like, oh, I want to feel that satisfaction again. So I, I want to start over and like have the same story, maybe not hit me the same way, but just sort of, you know, digest it more rather than like, well, what happens to the mandroids? Like, I don't care about that. You know, I mean, and yeah, again, yeah. I'm sure there's a way they could present that in an interesting way, but I do like that this is just this perfect capsule of like, I mean, what a what a capper to to twenty twenty one, you know, to just feel like, oh, hundred percent, you know, I just and you know, so like I said, my faith is restored in in fiction and in comic books, and because um, I think maybe even at the beginning of this episode, because uh, you know of our our going tech glitch, um, you know, I may have even said this at the beginning of this where I went, I uh, you know, on my travels, I went through a whole bunch of books and just like you know would sample them and get rid of them off my ipad because and what i landed in was this headspace of like i just want to read non-fiction like graphic novels that are non-fiction and then so reading this i was you know not too resistant but i i didn't feel like it and then mm-hmm. getting into it i was just so excited about, oh. about everything in it yeah. what a beautiful place to let's leave on that note because that's okay. kind of that's kind of where we want everybody to be like coming into this book we could again we could talk another three hours about yeah. five single issues because it is so jam-packed um it is a limited series not all robots and um i'm sure there will be a i mean there's definitely gonna be a trade paperback but i'm sure there will be because it, it, it's been doing very well it's very very talked about and is is again an incredible talk about like you think about like the indie music labels of like the 60s and 70s and like this this almost feels like one of them having like their big hit right like this is awa studios going this is our this is one of our you know flagship titles now and just mark russell i'm gonna be anytime mark russell's name comes up in anything i'm instantly gonna check it out because he's two for two solidly solidly yeah Um, just what a surprise hit for, for all of that, you know, like, I don't know, you know, just seeing, just seeing his name for me and not recognizing it from anything. And, you know, him having the same name as like a guy that wrote political parody songs and stuff. I was like, what is, you know, like, who is this guy? What, why do I care what he has to say? And just to be so delighted by everything and the and artwork it- too. Oh yeah, and I, I do want to do one more shout out. Art art by Mark, uh, Mike uh, Deodato Jr., color by Lee Luffridge, uh, and then covers by Raza. Just, I mean, a killer team all around. Oh yeah. AWA should be proud as hell about this. I'm gonna keep they're on my radar now too as a publisher. Like they, you know, boom, boom really ascended recently, and I think AWA is about to have a similar similar pop. Um, yeah. This, I I can't say can't say enough about it. not all robots. And it, it, 
yeah, just to shout out AWA too, it does seem like um, I, I had seen in Mike Deodato's statement at the end of issue one that he shouts out his editor, uh, Axel Alonso. And in my head, I was like, I'm pretty sure that guy was at Marvel. And when I go to the AWA website, it does look like he, Axel, um, uh, was Marvel's editor-in-chief and then founded AWA. And the AWA stands for Artists, Writers, Artisans. Yep. So it sounds like it's a real creator-focused company. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, uh, it, it, they do have a film and TV section, so for what that's worth. But <laughs> I'm hoping uh, Not All Robots just stays in its perfect packaging right here and we don't get an animated series or something. Oh God, hundred percent. Oh geez. Yeah, no, this, we, we have whole episodes talking about like, you know, the, the appropriate use of stories and like when a comic should stay a comic. And this is a hundred percent. One of those like Ellen Moore, like it should never be adapted. Just leave it as this. Um, I, yeah. yeah. Netflix, keep your hands off it. Well, anyway, if you liked, if you liked our review, if you want to go back, our, our back catalog has a ton of episodes where we talk about books and comics and culture and movies and everything else. Um, you can find all of that at panelism.inc. That's panelism.ink. And we're also that same handle on Instagram, panelism.inc. And uh, yeah, this, I think we've, we've mentioned this before between the two of us, but this book really set a fire under me for, for comics this year. And I, I feel like it's a, a omen of things to come. I think, yeah. as, I, I feel like some of the books I'm reading, including this one, are at a level that reminds me a lot of 2015 when I really got back into comics hardcore. It's just like everything is, everything is firing really nicely. So I can't wait to, to talk about more books like this. God, I'm glad you said that because that I hadn't put it in those terms, but that's exactly what I'm looking for. I, I think um, we did a great job through the lockdown year of talking regularly, you know, doing shows regularly, but we were like all over the map. Mm-hmm. And then I think during 2021, that was when sort of the impact hit me of like, man, I just want to go outside. I don't want to read like, and what I was looking for was like, what is that spark? What's that yeah. thing that like, so what a what a kickoff to 2022. I I'm so happy we did this. Thank you for suggesting it. This is an awesome book. Yeah. Well, we'll be back uh soon, maybe next week with another episode. We'll have another book I'm sure to talk about and and more. So uh thanks for listening. It's been fun. I'll catch you uh catch you later, sir. All right. I'll see you then or I will see you at another time. <laughs>